Isolation sessions, my guest, Mr. Richard Frame. Frame. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> all right. What's going on, my man? So, so I started this thing. Obviously, you heard it. We were just talking for a minute before um, right. that I did the first one with Billy from Biohazard, who whom you know for a lot of years. Um, right. And he coined the isolation sessions. So, oh, did he? yes, he coined it at the end. I didn't know that. Up and he wanted to do some sort of an interview podcast or whatever, you know, via, you know, video or Skype. And, and I never really did that. But um, since the current conditions of the world, you know, I figured that it would be, you know, it's a good time, I guess, to reach out and possibly expand what I do. Sure. Because when am I going to really speak to him or, you know, I just had Sean Killian from Violence on. So, right. You know, I had a guy from England on. So. So I figured, yeah. yeah, so I figured it's a good thing. Um, so you had all these people, and now you got Rich Frame. Right. <laughs> I do. I don't try to get names. I just, you know what? You have a history. You have stories to tell, and that's all I have right, really, right. you know? Well, here, here's the funny thing. I, You know, uh, obviously, you know Drew Stone, right? I do. Right. And so, you know, the movie, the movie about Michael Alago. I do. I was right? at the New York City premiere. Right. So who the fuck is that guy? The fabulous journey. Right. Yeah. So I think we should title this episode. Who gives a shit about this guy? Hey, hey, bro. Who gives a shit about this guy? <laughs> this shit? Right. This old <laughs> New York City guy around the scene. Right. So let me ask you, I think you're considerably younger than me. I'm 44. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to be 57 in a couple of months. So right. you, don't yeah. look a day, you don't look a day older than 45, my man. Yeah, right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. I'll tell you, for all the abuse and the shit that I did to myself, I am surprised that I don't look like I'm 90 years old. You know what? Same here. Yeah. yeah. Same here. Without a doubt. So when, when, when did you come onto the scene? Well... All right. I, I start. Well, it's it's a tough one. There's a little backstory, obviously. Um, I have an older sister. Um, she's six years older than me. We don't speak anymore, but she's six years older than me. So she was into like, you know, all the hair metal and all that stuff that was going right, on. Yeah. Okay. So I was always surrounded by that stuff. And then I kind of I was like, whatever. And I gravitated towards like the heavier stuff, like, you know, the early Metallica's and maiden and stuff like that and then right. uh, i would go to lemore's and my first show ever was anthrax at lemore's as and a satan lounge band satan yes yeah, satan's yeah, lounge yeah. band and right. uh, 
that was my first ever show and it was at Lemoore's. Um, and then like, I was still on to the metal and stuff like that. And then everybody who listens to this episode, uh, to, to this podcast should know already that what my turning point was, was I saw sick of it all. No, my yeah. turning point was, was white zombie leeway, suicidal tendencies at Lemoore's. Okay. So I had, I've, I've never, I heard of White Zombie because they weren't big yet at the time. Like that was right. Geffen. That was, this was, you know, and then I studied my lessons about them and I actually like a lot of their earlier stuff better than their newer stuff. But I'm yeah, sure you know, all that. We'll, we're going to talk about that too. Awesome. Yeah. I'm looking forward <laughs> to that because there's not a lot of people that were back in the day who knows and who was around White Zombie before they broke with Thunder Kiss and Beavis and Butthead and all that oh. stuff. There were, yeah, they were one of my favorite bands. Yes, mine too, mine too. Um, so White Zombie comes on, and they all they, they were all in a white van. I remember, and they all looked like they were homeless. They all looked like the Manson family. And right. I remember Rob, you know, walking in. And he was like, "Oh, I'm with the band." Like I had to let the guy at the front door show his little his little piece of paper that was like stapled to his jeans. Like, yeah, I'm with the band, and. They were all in a white van. I remember them unloading. And then uh, they went on. And I really wasn't familiar with their music at the time. And then Leeway came on. And it was kind of the same thing. I had heard of them, but I had never heard a note. And then when they came on, it kind of changed me and made me go towards, like, the hardcore side. Right. Not that I – not. I mean, I still listen to metal and all that stuff. But that's what right. was my introduction to that. And it's kind of like the perfect band for the most part, because they're a very crossover band. And then I started, they, yeah, oh, they, had, they had everything. Right. Yeah. So it was a perfect transition for me. And then Suicide, that was on the Lights, Camera, Revolution tour. And right. and that, it was like that night I was outside and it kind of made me look at things differently because I was I grew up with MTV and all these big bands and stuff. And I was outside and, you know, it's kind of sounds kind of cheesy, but I was like 15 years old or 14 years old. And Mike Muir was just like chilling outside, like, by himself, like in that in in one of the little doorways of Lemoore's, just standing there by himself. And I walked over to him, like, "Hey, what's up, man?" I kind of was like fanboying out because I was young, you know. And um, yeah. and I handed him my ticket stub, and like he just signed like his little name on it. And I was like, "Oh, that's kind of cool." Yeah. Like he wasn't a dick; he was super friendly. So it was kind of like that night was very transitional for me as far as like getting into hardcore and stuff like that. And then shortly right. after, I mean, I was at Lemoore's and all these clubs around, I mean, all of them are gone now. I mean, from like, right. the, from like the marquee to even like shows at the limelight and Lemoore's all the time and then CBs. And so I'm going to say my first show was in like the end of 88. And I've, that's pretty much what catapulted me in. And for years, I mean, it was every weekend. It was like, it was, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, rock and roll church for years. Right. Again, it's like you had to choose where am I going? Am I going to see Biohazard? Am I going to right. see White Agony? Am I going to see Sick of Am I going to see White Zombie? But it was it was so different. It was so awesome back then. Right. You know? It's funny. You're wearing a carnivore shirt and I'm wearing a typo negative shirt. Oh, are you? I can't see. <laughs> there you go. One of my favorite there you go. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. I knew Pete back in the day from the neighborhood. And I remember one of our first conversations was I was getting pizza on Avenue M and East 16th Street. There was a pizza place right by the train station there. 
Okay. And we just started talking because we'd seen each other at the club and stuff. And then he told me about, you know, his band Carnivore was going to do this Battle of the Bands thing. Wow. And I was what year like, is this? So I, you know, I'm I'm going to be off on the years type thing, Jimmy, because my brain is fried, dude. Right. But this is, I mean, this was, I mean, obviously, because you remember they were, partially they were like Fallout first. Yeah. Yep. And then it was Carnivore. Yes. So, yeah, that was, uh, that, I mean, that was interesting. I was friends with uh, Keith Alexander, too. You know, and he actually, I try and say this a lot, but he really, there's going to be times when I say us and we, and I'm talking about Biohazard because I was like the fifth Beatle, you know, for a <laughs> yeah. time there. But I mean, Keith helped us out a lot. He did our press kits and stuff like that and was really into it. So I met Kevin, I'm Kevin, I met Evan through Pete because okay. Evan was um, Pete's base tech, roadie type guy in the beginning. Right. So that, that's how I met Evan. And um, I, got out of, I got out of the Navy in 1985 and started working at the Palladium in 1986. Wow. Okay. So, and the Palladium was the biggest club in the world at that yes. point, you know, and we wore suits and ties and everybody got picked to get in and stuff. So yeah. me and Evan started getting close because I had the connections to get into the clubs, you know? Yeah. So that's when Evan and I started getting uh, close and hanging out and going to the clubs and going to after hours and stuff like that. He was actually, he was slinging a little blow on the side. <laughs> yeah. That was, you know, yeah. I, Evan, you know, I always called him my brother. We, you know, I think he's lost connection with a lot of people lately, yes. you know, sure. since when he moved to LA and started doing the other stuff. But I mean, he was always, he was always, a, you know, a brother to me. And um, the funny thing about how he asked me to start working. Okay. So I've been a fan of music my whole life. Sure. I mean, my, my, my turning point was 1975. Um, when I got for Christmas, I got Kiss Alive, I got Houses of the Holy, and I got a Jethro Tull album. And that was like, you know, before that, I was listening to like Elton John and Elvis Presley. So yeah. that was like my turning point. Sure. And then um, as the years progressed, you know, it started getting into when Judas Priest, you know, was coming more on the scene and Iron Maiden, you know, I saw Iron Maiden open up for Judas Priest at the Palladium with Paul Diano. I mean, wow. That was, you know, that was like 81, I think. Fuck. But, um, That's crazy. Evan, the funny thing was that, you know, I was working all these clubs and um, I was hanging out with Evan and we, when he asked me to manage Biohazard, it was, I didn't know anything. I had no idea, but it was because I had the connections. Right. So that's, that's what, you know, you know, brought Evan to, to ask me about that. Right. And, you know, when I went in there, I, I didn't know anything. You know, I, I heard your, uh, your interview with Billy. Right. And it really, Biohazard started as Evan's baby. Right. And he was living with Mio at the time. So, of course, Mio was the drummer. Yeah. And, you know, and, and the funny thing is that, you know, Billy had said, yeah, and then Bobby was there. I mean, Bobby was there, but Billy was saying, well, Bobby with long hair is like, no. Bobby had, you know, a shaved, he had the shaved head thing too. Yes. You know, so it was like you had 
Billy and Bobby were sort of like the angry skinheadish type guys. Then you had Evan with the long hair. And then you just had crazy Mio. Yeah, he's like the he's uh like the drummer for the Muppets, Animal. That's what he was. Well, he wound up getting a tattoo of Animal from Fat from Coney Island Vinny on his arm. Really? Yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, this this was after he was out of Biohazard, and we were all hanging out up at Fastlane Studios when he had New York City strength. Right. Like, I got an animal on my arm. I'll never forget it. I don't know why it pops out in my head, but oh yeah, he's yeah, crazy. Yeah, and he was meal so, was a trip, man. He he was. He uh that he was into wrestling, like the ultimate warrior. That was his thing. Yeah, you know? and, he, and he used to make me laugh because he would look at me and he'd go, Yo, Jim, I'll be like, What's up? He's like, Tell me I don't look like Razor Ramon. I'm like, you don't look like Razor Ramon. Oh my God, you just brought that back with his hand. <laughs> Razor Ramon. Oh God, that's funny. <laughs> so I remember, I think the first time I went to, it wasn't Fast Lane Studios, it was, uh, what the hell, Ace, Ace London. London. Ace yeah. London, yeah. With uh, who's that, Joey Bravo? Yes. Right, yeah. So I remember going to the studio, and like I said, I was friends with Evan, and then uh, Mio, and then Billy. Like I said, it was like two two guys I didn't know, but they were kind of you know they they check you out up and down like the the angry guys, you know. Billy, when he was, I mean, he's we're so close right now. I mean, I got his initials tattooed on my chest. He's the godfather of my oldest child. You know, he's like a brother to me. I love him. But back then, I mean, he, he was an angry little guy. Yeah. You know, he, he, he really was. I mean, he had a lot of stuff that happened early on in his life that, you know, sure. Hard him. you know? So, um, but that, yeah, it was all Evan's stuff to begin with I, I mean i just remember when billy you know started putting input and, and writing songs you know yeah which the demo so the demo was two-sided cassette when i started with them there was only the one side okay i remember i remember evan we went to go see um josh josh from typo negative josh silver because he, he was he was putting that whole thing together Right. You know? And um, yeah, there was. I remember you were talking about there was some controversy. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> with those songs, you know, it's yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was controversy with those songs. I won't say it, but there might have been a different title to the song Skinny Song early on. Yeah, Skinny. Oh, man, I, I just, I, I love the Skinny Song. I That's remember. That's one of my favorite instrumentals ever. But they might have yeah. been a different title for it before that. Um, See, yeah. I don't remember that. But I remember, you know, you know which songs I'm talking about. And the oh. song where, you know, where they said, the one song where they said Nazi in it. I'm like, you can't do that, dude. Right. And they, and they, they talked to me like, well, that's not what we mean. Right. You know, and then they actually changed that that lyric to national. Right. Right. And it was just like, dude, you know, it was a crazy thing. Like Evan, I mean, I'd go into he lived with his parents. You know, we used to cruise around in his dad's Cadillac. We called it the Dadillac. 
you know? Oh, yeah, we, we'd have like public enemy enemy cassette blasting, you know? Yeah. Was he still so working at Lenny and John's at the time? I don't I don't even know if he had started there at that point. Okay. This, this is way back, you know? Yeah. But, you know, I, he, I walked into his room and he's listening to like Screwdriver. And I'm like, dude, you're Jewish. Do you know <laughs> yeah. what's going on here? You yeah, know? His name is Seinfeld, of all things. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, that was Evan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the demos, they made the demos. And then, um, so at that time, I was bouncing pretty much at the Palladium. I did some other clubs like the Tunnel. You know that that kind of stuff and, and the Ritz. I loved working at the Ritz. I love the Ritz. I used to love that. I'd seen so many great shows there, man. It was you know because it wasn't pigeonholed. I mean, it was all different types of music every single night. You know. Yeah. I got a call from the boss one night. He's like, "Hey, we got a surprise show. We need you there at six o'clock." And I'm like, "Who the hell is this going to be?" And I wound up it was the Cure. They were oh, playing Nassau Coliseum, and they just did the surprise show at the Ritz, and it was like, holy shit. Wow. And me being the heavy metal guy, I was like, what the hell is this shit, or whatever, and they just blew me away, of course, what a great band, you know? Sure. Fuck. But, um, yeah, I'm, I met Bobby really early before, too. It was completely by chance. Um, he used to work, I think this was before the first record came out. So it was probably in between because they came out with two demos, right? Because there was the infection approach. Well, we had, well, like I said, we had, the, the, when I got there, they had the, the one demo and I can't remember which song, but it was like one side. And then we were finishing up with Josh mixing the other thing. And then we compiled it into, you know, a two-sided cassette. Right. Yeah. Well, I met him. Shit. This is before my first show or whatever, but he used to work at, Mark's Aquarium on Utica Avenue. Right. Place. Right, and right, I went, right. I went there with my stepfather because we had I remember beach. that. Yeah. I remember that now. Yeah. We we went yeah, there and and I had a we there was a whole we had a huge finished basement and there was like a back room and I had a huge couple of huge big fish tanks. I was big into like lizards and snakes and stuff. Right, like right. That. So that was still the days of mom and pop pet stores. So we went there. Cause I lived in Canarsie at the time. So we went there and I went downstairs to where all the reptiles were. And there's Bobby. And I kind of like, I didn't know him at the time, but he's wearing the POW MIA t-shirt, right, right. you know, and he, you know, he had his big rings oh, were on right. and shaved head. And I, I looked at him. I'm like, I kind of thought I'm like, this guy is like, you know, like I, I like, I dig this guy. You know what I mean? There's something right. about this guy, I like this guy. And he was talking to me about, I don't know how, obviously I don't remember exactly the conversation, but we got onto the topic where he says that he has a Mojave rattlesnake in his house. And I'm like, okay, okay well, that's kind of crazy, blah, blah, blah. Right. But, he sold, but he sold me three iguanas that day. And then not that long later, I, I, I happened to be at the Crazy Country Club and Bobby was there, Biohazard wasn't playing. He happened to be there and he was shit-faced at the bar. And I came over and I, I, I was drinking at the time. You could drink pretty much anywhere. And right. so I went there and I had a few beers and he was talking to me and he was all broken up because his iguana spike had just recently died. So yeah, I said, yeah, he, yeah, lo- he loved his reptiles. Yeah. yeah. So he was miserable and he was drowning his sorrows because his lizard died. And I sat with him for like two hours talking to him about reptiles and how much love he had for his dead iguana. Right. This is like, this is like 19... 
at that time it was like 90 probably i was like 15 okay yeah 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 now before that so we we always said that the date that biohazard was formed was easter 1988 okay that's the day we say the band was formed, you know, even though they had started a little bit before that, we wanted a defined date. So we said right. Easter 1988. So I was dating, I was working at the Palladium and I was dating um, this girl, Sabina, who wound up being my first ex-wife. Okay. And she used to help me out. So I was doing the TV stuff. She talked me into going to school. So I went to school for television production. I wound up getting a job working for a television production company in the morning. Then I would go to classes to, at that Center for Media Arts that was over on 26th Street. They did sound engineer television production. Billy actually went there for sound engineer classes. And then at night, I'd work the clubs. And then in between, I was trying to make the phone calls and getting flyers out and you know trying to get the biohazard thing going. Right. So back then, when I was doing the TV stuff, I was making some money there. So I pretty much was funding everything. So I, I made mass production of those demos, you know, and I was trying to shop those demos. I mean, I got them into Bleaker Bob's, you know, places were taken. I think Bleaker Bob's was the first one to take it on consignment. Yeah. And I mean, we got to the point where he was like, Hey man, I need more of those. Cause it started moving, you know? Yeah. And, um, do you have an original, do you still have an original? You know, I have, God, I hate saying a storage unit. I moved my mom out here about 11 years ago from Brooklyn. All right. And I, I have two divorces. So we have a storage unit. And I just even hate saying the word storage unit because I, it's dreaded what I got to go in there and get. But I do have a box that has uh, original demos, um, some of the first T-shirts. You know, I don't know where you, obviously you found that picture of me for the flyer on the Internet. I found it was on your Facebook page somewhere. Okay, yeah. So that that orange shirt with a really bad, you know, logo on it. Yes. That was one of the first ones. So I have I have a bunch of those in a box. Some demos, some original t-shirts, some original hats. I got like ask that. I have to ask you if you have a Lion Coke bitch t-shirt. I you know what? I do. Wow. I do and it's in a box and it's back in the days. I know it has the cutoff sleeves and shit, you know. I mean yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and I, I got to tell you, everyone knew with me with the merchandise, because like I said, I was paying for all this stuff. I would go down. Uh, I would go down and buy from the Hasidic Jews. I would buy the bulk T-shirts and then take them to the screen printing place. But we were known for having the merchandise, you know, because yeah. if these kids are 15 and 16 years old and the, and the more say risque the shirt was or whatever, like the Lion Coke bitch shirt, man, that's what sold. You know, it's like a 15-year-old kid is like, oh, I'm going to have this guy with a skeleton, you know, when this girl's going down on him, like, holy shit, you know? We had that, we had the Scarred for Life shirts where it was like Evan's tattoo in the back peeling off, you know? Yes. So, I mean, that's the one thing, but I, I tried to keep one of everything, you know? So, I mean, I do have that stuff away in a box somewhere. Right. <laughs> that's awesome i'm glad that, i'm glad that you actually were like that you actually have it at least it's in a storage unit at least it's safe i'm glad you didn't say no i don't have any of that, it, that yeah, was... like, things pissed me off i had uh i worked at tyson sphinx fight i was doing for hbo like the tail of the tape type thing okay so i i had the microphone um tyson and i went down to the 
in Atlantic City. I went and I got five uh, T-shirts for the bout, you know, Spinks yeah. versus Tyson. Remember, that was like the 90-second fight. Of course. And I got a autograph. 91 seconds. I remember that video. Yeah. So I got five of these, and when I was with Mike Tyson, I had him autograph, like five of them, right? Nice. And I wound up giving them away as gifts. And I remember the last one I gave away, I gave to Phil Anselmo. And wow. I was like, because you know what a boxing buff he is and shit. Yeah. And now to this day, I'm like, you know what? Phil could have got his own friggin' Tyson autograph shirt. Now I don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta keep just one for yourself, just one. Yeah, yeah, that that one, no. So back then, I was doing all that stuff, and um, you know, during the day when I was working at the video company, this is before we were using printing and stuff. I was using their the printer at work, and they're just like, "How? Why are we going through all this ink?" Because the thing was, we just wanted to get the Biohazard logo and stuff out there, right? Right. Nobody. It took me, man. It took forever because they did have that stuff from the, the demos following them. So, like, trying to get their first show was so hard. Really? Nobody, nobody would book them. Yeah. So Tommy Victor is the one that gave us um, our first shot. And it was at the pyramid on my Facebook. I have a, I still have a picture of the, you know, how we always used to get the passes and hand them out. So the, sure. the, the club would see that you're promoting. So we played, this is actually a funny story. So the first show we did was um, July 5th, 1988. And it was at the pyramid opening up for prom. Awesome. Right. How, what a better way to start off, open up for the, you know, prom. It was Tommy, you know, Tommy was running that show. And I remember, at the, you know, we made maybe a hundred bucks or something or 150 bucks. And I remember Tommy coming up to me and he's like, Rich, here, here's your pay. I'm going to tell you the first thing right here is go tell those fucking guys to buy some tuners because they weren't, <laughs> you know, they, they, they still weren't, you know, they didn't know what they were doing. You know, I haven't wanted to just put the bass up to 11. Billy honestly was still learning to play guitar, you know. So, I, I mean, I still remember to this day. Hey, tell them to buy some fucking tuners. Yeah. Because right? they're all out of tune. It was a, erratic and extra fills and craziness. <laughs> yeah, it was a mess. But And then we started getting some shows. And I remember, um, you know, we'd, we'd get a show like out in Jersey and you're playing with four other bands. But there's nobody there except the guys in the other bands, you know? Yeah. So... With me doing the video stuff, I was able to get, because this is MTV days, and, you know, videos like White Lion and stuff, they cost, whatever, a half million dollars, you know, $200,000. And I had a friend of mine, and we snuck the camera out, and we started doing, now, you've seen the Panic Attack video, right? I have, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I made that on, on nothing. It didn't cost us anything. I mean, you can tell by looking at it now. You're right. But we were just like, I had my friend that was the camera operator. Um, you know, we, we snuck the camera out on the weekends. And then we went to, you know, like Coney Island and, you know, with Bobby with the rat and stuff yeah. like that. And then Billy, Billy was working at the sex shop, the pink pussycat or yes. whatever. Remember? <laughs> so we, just, we were just taking all these shots from anywhere. But. The one that I crack up about is there's a live shot 
And Evan, I think he's got the orange hat on sideways and he's singing into the microphone. But if you look at his pants, he had pissed himself right before going on stage. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, these were the early days. Like I said, we were all drinking. We were all doing coke, you know, and everybody was just shit faced, you know, yeah. even when they were going on stage. But I, I, I always remember that when I look at the panic attack video, I was like, oh, yeah, that's when Evan pissed himself before nice. going on Age, was, was there a night at Lemoore's when they played with 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 those videotapes were actually either given out or sold? No, no, because back in those days, I mean, we did it all on professional. You know, the, the tapes were like, you know, real t television production stuff. Right. So when I could get, I, when I could get some made to like the VHS and stuff, it started. Of course, I gave one to Lamar. I mean, you got to remember, we have a demo out. We're not, you know, there there isn't an album out. And I'm just trying to get the name out. And the, the best part was they were playing it at the Ritz. You know, so you got some big hardcore show like Bad Brains or something, and they're showing this Biohazard video. It's like, holy shit, you know? That's great, yeah. I remember I remember when we had the first T-shirts made, I said, I... Like, I, I didn't know what I was doing. So it's this yellow T-shirt and this little biohazard symbol. And I remember I was delivering stuff, you know, for the TV job. And I'm down, you know, I'm up on, like, whatever, 10th Avenue and 46th Street. And I'm driving. And I saw a kid with a T-shirt. And it was, like, the first time. Like, fuck, yeah. yeah Somebody's awesome. wearing a biohazard shirt. Fuck, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, at the beginning, yeah, that was just crazy shit in the beginning. So, so we started getting the demos out, and um, I remember, all right, so Biohazard was a crossover band, you know? So, it had the hardcore, and it had the metal edge, you know? And, and I always thought, me being more of a metal guy, like, I hadn't really gotten into hardcore at that point. Right. I think I had seen, I think I'd seen COC at CBGBs, you know, I know I'd seen the bad brains, but I was more of a metal guy. So, um, what am I saying here? I don't know, right after the demos. Um, oh, just showing these, you know, it's funny because remember, um, Joey Bravo, he had his band, Big Band Wolf. Yes. That was a hair metal band and shit. Yes. So I remember when we first made the video, I mean, I was so excited, right? And I had it transferred to a VHS tape. And we're talking, this is 1988 or whatever. So I remember carrying the big tube TV into Ace London. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to show them and shit. And I remember Joey Bravo, he was, he was kind of jealous. He was kind of pissed because we went ahead and made a video. You know, this is when it's MTV area era and everyone's making these videos and we just did this for nothing. I remember showing it. I took it to the rehearsal studio. I remember Joey being a little, you know, fuck you guys, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah, we always had a, it's funny because we had a competition at Lemoore. When you, when you played a show, you had to make up your own $2 off passes. Yeah. So the guys would see, you know, how you're promoting it. So we, we had a competition and we actually kicked their ass because, I mean, they were doing the hair metal thing, Big Bad Wolf. And then this is Biohazard, you know, and we always had a competition. Who could bring in more passes? Who could bring in more passes, you know? And yeah. we actually beat their ass. But Biohazard, um, was, I mean, I mean, 
I, they, they might be the band that probably, at least in the top three of the band that I've seen the most amount of times in my life. And whenever they, yeah. So whatever, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen Big Bad Wolf live. I don't think so. <laughs> I wasn't really the hair. I was. I wouldn't go to hair metal shows. Like I. Well, no. yeah. Well, you gotta remember. I, at a point, I was also working at Lamore too. Oh, sure. I'm working at the Ritz. I'm working. I mean, Lamore was my home away from home. You know, I think the first time I went there was 1980, 81, before I went in the Navy to see Twisted Sister. Awesome. You know, and that blew me away. You know. Yeah. Back when they were doing all the cover songs, they played three sets, you know. Yeah. Trying to slip some originals in there. Yeah. But, you know, when I started working clubs, I mean, meanwhile, I was going to Lamore to see everything. Yeah. You know, the metal, the hair metal. At this point, I wasn't in, into hardcore. So uh, Frankie, one of the owners, was like, why don't you start working? Well, it makes sense. Why don't I get paid to be there? Instead of me, you know, and back then you were still drinking while you were working and everything else, you know. Sure. So that was, um, I mean, they they loved us at Lamore, though. I mean, we as as the band started getting bigger and getting known, they became more professional. Yeah. You know, and um, yeah, we. I mean, we were bringing. Not only were we bringing in a lot of people, but they could always call on us if they had to fill a slot or something like that. Yeah. You know, it's funny because um, this band, Hell's Kitchen, New York City, that we'll just talk about briefly. Okay. But, um, I remember, I, I don't know if it was George, it was George and Mike Parente were the brothers that owned Lamore. Right. right. Yeah. I think George gave me a call, and it's funny because we had tickets. Uh, I think me and Evan had tickets to go see in the city. It was like Ice T, MC Hammer, and somebody else, right? But George calls us and says, "Hey, you know, I, I need you guys to play with this band, Hell's Kitchen, New York City." So the rumor started going around that it was, you know, how all these big bands used to play under different names. Yeah. Right. So I remember. I think I even called Ken Creedy. I'm like, "Who's this Hell's Kitchen, New York City?" So everybody, we thought it was the cult. That's who we thought it was, playing under a different name, right? So we went and did it, and no, it was this band, Hell's Kitchen, New York City. There was maybe 100 people there. We didn't get to see Ice Tea. Everybody was pissed at me, you know, and we made 100, 150 bucks. <laughs> but, but we were, I mean, we had that relationship with Lamar, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember because they wouldn't pay you shit. I remember trying to get two hundred and fifty dollars out of them, you know. And then we start filling the place. I think it was, um, I think it was the the record release party where um, I handed out all these passes, right? And you got in for five dollars till a certain time. And I remember, right. I mean, we had capacity. And yeah. I remember Frankie this was, working this the door. Was, this was the, the record release for the first Biohazard this was, record? This was, this was for the Maze Records. I know I'm jumping all over the place. No, that's fine. I, I figured yeah. that's fine. It's fine. Yeah. So um, I, I, the thing I just remember was that there was a line around the block. We've got almost 2,000 people in there. And once like 1,000 people got in, Frankie is like, no, no, now they got to pay full price, full price. Or like, but you said till a certain time, but he, everything was always money in their eyes at Lamore, you know, always. 
but you know, this is without a record out, we're bringing, you know, 1700, 1800 people into Lamar. And that was our home. Yeah. You know, sure. Of course, things at the TV shows. I remember our first big show was, um, opening for the Chrome eggs at the Ritz. Crazy. So, so that was a big show for us. It wasn't Lamar. It wasn't this little club in Jersey. It wasn't, you know, Sundance on Long Island. Frank used to take care of us too. Right. But I remember like the Chromags, holy shit. You know, the Chromags are at the top of their game right there. They're headline in the Ritz. We're going to open for the fucking Chromags. I remember I even rented them a limo and Mio was in heaven. <laughs> we, got a fucking, we got a fucking limo. We're taking a limo to the city, you know? Oh, my God. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> but that that was the, yeah, that was the first big show was the, that. So we had a, I mean, Biohazard, you know, like we were talking about White Zombie. Biohazard was that too. I mean, we used to play with, it was an all-girl band. That was a heavy metal band. Um and I know you can see part of it in the... Thoughts from Hell? No, not that. They were called Mean Street. Okay. Like, like you know, no, they, they didn't go anywhere. But I remember because you see in parts of the Panic Attack video where we shot some live stuff at Lemoore, you can see the Mean Street banner in the background because we were opening up for them. We could play with, with anybody, Yeah. you know? The hard part, honestly, like that Chrome Eggs thing was a big thing for us. And it was... It was really hard getting, like I said, I think Biohazard was more crossover. Sure. And in the beginning, there was no respect from the hardcore community. Really? No respect, no respect whatsoever. Fans like who are friends with them now and stuff, like sick of it all and all that, you couldn't get it. Because you got to remember, Evan was around on the scene too. Right. So I had this picture, and I don't know if it's in storage or in this box, but I got this picture of him with his hair all poofed out uh-huh. and he was wearing those fur boots, you know, those fur boots that go up to your knees. <laughs> yes. I, so Evan used to be that guy, right? That so, is hysterical. So everyone knew at Lamar that, that Evan, that guy, you know, cause now he's in Biohazard and this, this and these are tough guys and this is tough music from the streets and stuff. Right. But you know, sometimes, sometimes your past follows you a little bit there, you know? Right. A little bit. <laughs> so, so we didn't, I mean, we didn't really get respect from the hardcore community, you know? And then once we got, I think some of the CD shows, it was like opening slots and stuff. We didn't get in there with the red carpet and open arms, you know? Right. We had a lot of things, you know, and you remember back in that day, now I'm not into any of the gang stuff or anything. We, we didn't like that. We didn't like the fights, you know? So there was there was a, a time, you know, the crews I'm talking about that used to come hang out at these shows. Sure. And they just beat up, they beat the shit out of a guy just because he has long hair. Right. Right. Yeah. So there were times, even if I wasn't bouncing at the club, usually I wouldn't bounce the night Biohazard was playing or whatever, but I still stood in the middle of the pit. Yeah. So we had a thing: if a fight breaks out, you stop playing just like that. Yeah, playing. You know, we don't want any of our kids getting hurt. I don't care if you're skinhead, if you're long hair. These are people that paid money, just bought some T-shirts. You know, we don't want anybody to get hurt. So they would stop and then Evan would go, you know, you fuck with us. You're going to deal with the big Frankenstein guy standing there. That's Richie. That's our manager. You know, shit like that. And of course, well, all the, the bounces at Lamar, those, those were our brothers, you know? Yeah. But I mean, I, 
And I mean, I talked to a couple of the guys. You know, one day I watched Lamar. One of the one of the skinhead guys. He's chasing this heavy, this long-haired guy down the block with a rubber fucking mallet, <laughs> chasing him down the street, right? And he comes back, and I'm like, you know what the fuck, dude? Yeah. Time to grow up. You got to let this shit go. And I remember saying to him, you know what? Maybe one day you're going to want to form a band, right? And you're going to expect these kids to pay ten dollars to come in and see you. They're going to expect you to um, pay fifteen dollars. You. $15 for a t-shirt, right? Isn't this about unity, respect? Right. So later on, they went to go and form that band called Marauder. Yeah. <laughs> so, so if you know who I'm talking about, I you do. know. <laughs> and I got nothing but love for those guys, you know, but it was just like, I was a little older than everybody, and I always tried to do the, the daddy moment, you know? Hey. So, as soon as you said rubber mallet, I knew exactly who you <laughs> <knew> Exactly. <laughs> little guy, you know, running down the street, yeah. Yep. <laughs> and, and that was a shame. That was a shame because then you, you know, you got kids that want to come see Biohazard or whatever, and sometimes they're scared to come to the show. Uh-huh. I'm not going to go to the show and get my ass kicked. I love that band, but, you know, I got yeah. long hair. I want to get my ass kicked. Right. I remember, those, I remember those days for sure. They were ridiculous, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. It was, it was nothing to, I, I don't know. That's, Silly. Yeah. Fucking dumb shit. <laughs> Thank you, Jimmy. Silly. That's what it was. It's just silly. fucking silly. <laughs> and I and you know, so after so like I said, so we weren't we weren't getting shows with sick of it all and stuff, you know, because there was they kind of looked down on biohazard, you know. This, this ain't hardcore, this crossover, you know, because that's when, you know, with suicidal with joining the army and stuff, all of a sudden you had skinheads and you had long hairs, and there started to be this audience. And I tell you. We love the long hairs because they're the ones that are spending money. Those are the ones that are real fans. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. You you, you bring a thousand people into Lamore, and I have five varieties of shirts, right? We're getting gas money at least. We're getting money to make more shirts. Yeah. And I'm not saying nothing bad about CBs, but you go to CBs matinee, you're not getting a thousand people. Those kids aren't buying $15 t-shirts, yeah. you know? It's true. So that so that was the funny thing, and you know um, I'm a big you know I'm an old school guy, and I think an original band as long as you keep all the original members, that band stays together, like yeah. say a Queen did or a Led Zeppelin. I right. think once you change one band member, then all of a sudden everybody's replaceable, right? Pretty so much. There time, so there came a time when Mio had to go. Yeah, it just. It, it was it was insanity. I mean, I I'm no saint. Evan was no saint. You know, Evan Evan did get clean and sober. You know, while in Biohazard. But I remember, and this is a crazy thing, is our first out of our first out of town show was, was in D.C. and Leeway took us, and it was it was I mean it was the trip from hell. I I borrowed I borrowed a truck from a guy. At the, at the television production company and the truck broke down and I had to replace the engine. It was ridiculous. But be- before the show, I'm looking for Mio. You know, we got to play the show. Where the fuck's Mio? Uh-huh. So I'm looking, I'm looking. I go out into the neighborhood and he's, he's trying to buy some blow off of these, these black guys on the street that we don't know, right? 
So I go up and fucking, I'm like, Neil, man, you're supposed to be playing. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, right. So he, he, he makes his deal, right? And then we're walking away, and then Mio checks it and goes, this is fucking soap. What the fuck is this? I'm like, who cares? Let's keep walking. So he turns around. He goes, yo, what the fuck is this shit? And now literally 10, 15 guys come off of their fucking porch, and they're surrounding us, right? Ah. And fucking Mio, Mio just grabs his shit. Give me my money back and walks away, because that was Mio, you know? Might be five foot five and you know ninety eight pounds wet, but yeah. he don't give a shit. Mio's crazy, <laughs> so nothing happened. And we got to the show, but it used to happen all the time. Even at Lamar, what was that? A disco that was down there that they filmed Saturday Night Fever. Was it called Two Thousand One Odyssey or something? Yeah, some shit, yeah. That's where Mio would go to get his shit or whatever. So we're trying to do a show and where the fuck, you know, where is he? Where is he? So it, it came to the point where biohazard, where it needed to be professional and a change had to happen. Right. You know, so that, that was that <clears throat> for me. Now I'm looking at the look of the band. So we got Bobby and Billy skinheads. Now we got Evan long hair, right? And I had this kid, his name was Mark. And he was in a band called Metal Storm. I remember and, that band. Right. So the drummer had long hair and he was a sick drummer. I think his name was Mark, right? So we actually started to do auditions and stuff. But when he came to audition, I think he was nervous or something. And he huh. just couldn't do it. And then I forget. I, I don't know who it was. It might have been Evan or something that brought Danny in. Yeah. You know? And for me, that's fit. Look at his long hair. All right. So we got Evan long hair. We got Danny long hair. And we got our two, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and Danny just fit right right from the get-go. I yeah. mean, you know. Such a great drama. Just that that he, first record, the the sound of those drums, it's it's awesome. You know, for me, it's for me, it's state of the world address. I I I listen to that and the drums on that are just phenomenal. Ridiculous. You know. And yeah. that was their first album on Warner Brothers so you know they had their production and shit yeah you know it's funny since we talked I, I I busted out the first Biohazard CD you know and the songs on that are great but that production is horrible yeah it, it is it's, it's really it's, I love all of this of the I love the majority of this stuff some things are a little clunky later on that I really wasn't feeling but that first record is my favorite overall record. It's probably also because it's a nostalgia thing as well. You know what and, I mean? And I think that I had some people on Facebook going, that's their best album. And, you know, I take blame for the production because, hey, I didn't really know what I was doing. Right. We hired, we hired um, a friend to be the producer who was, we knew him. He was the Lamour sound guy. And he went out and he was the sound guy for White Lion while they were big and stuff like that. But that's two different worlds. The live sound guy and a guy producing your album are two different worlds. Yes. And yeah. And then I kicked the band out while we were going to mix the record. And these two guys were doing blow and stuff. And I was just like, it didn't come out right. And I, I take the blame for that. And I remember when we went in, the uh, not the producer, but the engineer. I think his name was uh, Bruce Robbins. I think that's his name, right? And he goes, well, 
what, what are we looking for? What kind of sound are we looking for? And we all agreed on this. I handed him the prong, beg to differ CD. Uh-huh. I was like, this, this. We want it to sound like this. Because, <laughs> you know, for a hardcore album, I mean, you know, on a major label, it had that production. Yeah. So, yeah, that's funny. I've been listening to the first album again, and it is that rawness and stuff. I mean, you yeah. can't capture that. You remember when Biohazard got big, the, the main thing they had, whether you like their songs or not, that electricity they had. Without a doubt. I mean, Billy, crazy Bobby with the spinning like a washing machine thing. It, I mean, yeah. that, that electricity was insane. Yeah. You know? Without a doubt. I remember. One of my favorite bands ever, hands down. Yeah. Yeah. They used to be one of my favorites. I'm yeah. just kidding. <laughs> I still, I mean, I got five biohazard tattoos on me. I mean, we're doing this interview right now because biohazard, bio, it was a huge part of my life. It was only, a, you know, two to three years, but I mean, it still was. I mean, my younger kids, like I said, Billy um, is the godfather of my firstborn, Amanda. She lives in uh, Arizona. And then I got my two my two youngest ones here that are 19 and 20 now, Melissa and Fiona. So they've seen Biohazard on the reunion tour. They go to see that we call him Uncle Billy. You know, he treats them he treats them like they're you know his own kids, and we just love seeing Uncle Billy and stuff like that. You know, so I mean, always going to be family, right? I got the DFL tattoo on the back of my neck. There you go. I, have a, I, I always just want to go to Evan. Hey, Evan, what happened to the DFL thing? What, hey, what happened? <laughs> Was it supposed to be DFRN uh, down for right now? I don't. I, I got the life one. You know. Crazy. <laughs> Shit. So now, but, you know, back, go ahead. Go ahead, buddy. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. So back, you know, back in the day, I was doing the TV stuff, and I was traveling a lot. I went. I went down. I don't know why this is ringing in my head, but this is just funny to me. It's a funny story is that I was in Argentina. I was doing that Amnesty International concert that had like Springsteen and Peter Gabriel. So at that time, my girlfriend, her name was Sabina, who was my first ex-wife, the one who gave birth to Amanda, my firstborn. And she used to help me all the time, like, because I couldn't trust Biohazard. Right. So somebody's got to get them there on time. You know, when people say, when you were a manager, what'd you do? I was like a babysitter. I was mom, I'm dad, I'm the tour manager, I'm security, I'm everything. Yeah. So Sabina used to help me out. And I just, I remember, now you know Mina, Mina Caputo, right? Of course. So Keith was about 15 years old. He was 15 years old because I remember her telling me when I came back, she ran a CB show for me. And Keith couldn't get in because he was 15. You had to be 16 to get into CBGBs. Yeah, I went to South Shore High School with Keith. Right. <laughs> so they snuck him in. I remember Sabina, this is still so hilarious. They snuck him in in the bass drum kit. The bass drum. <laughs> you know, the, the fucking thing you put the, the bass drum and they hit him in there and got him into the club, you know? Because <laughs> he's so, so tiny, he can fit. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, he could. And it's funny because, okay, so I say we stem, Biohazard stemmed from Carnivore. Yeah. A lot of people used to think from the demos and stuff, they sounded like Carnivore. Well, I mean, if that's what you know, until you grow, that's what you, you know, that's what you sort of copy, what you you, you do. Yeah. So 
that's why it was funny when Light the Agony first started out. Joey Z was, you know, Billy's guitar tech. Alan Robert was doing all the artwork for our T-shirts. He did the Lion Coke bitch and the Spark for Light and stuff. So it was funny when Life Agony first came out. People were like, well, you sound like Biohazard. This yep. transitional thing, of course, you know. Absolutely. But yeah, no, we had some fun back in the day. I just, I always felt bad for Joey. I mean, I, I can remember him trying. You couldn't please Billy. And if something went wrong on stage, watch out. I remember him freaking out because something was wrong with his guitar or whatever. And Joey ran out to help him. And he hit Joey right in the chest <laughs> while he's playing live. I'm like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> Billy, Billy is funny. He always, I used to imitate him going, ah, what the fuck? I remember one night we're outside of Lemoore and I'm talking to Charlie Benanti and Scott Ian, right? And then yeah. I, I'm, I'm working with Biohazard, but Biohazard, nobody knows who they are or whatever. And Billy's there and he's like, fuck, introduce me, introduce me. <laughs> so I introduced him to Scott Ian, right? And Scott Ian did one of those, yeah, yeah okay, whatever. And there is that, right? Uh, and Billy's all like, and I was like, don't worry, things are happening for us. Once you get to a point, believe me, he's going to be shaking your hand. He's going to be wanting to talk to you. Right. So I laugh now, right? Because that actually happened, right? Billy, like, ah, fuck that guy. <laughs> and then, have you ever watched the Dynamo videos when, when Biohazard was at top of their game? The pit looked like 100,000 people. Boom, 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 right? And then they cut to the side of the stage, and who do you see? Scott Ian wearing a Biohazard hat. Awesome. <laughs> you know? Like, see? <laughs> see, Billy? I told you. Yeah. That's hysterical. So now, so now after the first record comes out and all that, what, what, when, when did you part ways with them? All right. So, okay, here's another story, all right? <laughs> you got stories. Good. We might, not even, we might not even get into the white zombie in the Hell's Kitchen stuff, right? This is the biohazard section. I definitely want to touch on white zombie without a doubt. Though. All right. Yeah, there wasn't much with that, but yeah. Okay, so <clears throat> what happened was, okay, I'm surprised you haven't done a show with Chris Milnes, have you? I did um, the baby Chris. I did a quick, like, seven minutes, real quick, bonus little thing at a convention, and we basically spoke about his... 3D printing. The 3D printing, yeah, I know. But, but I know Chris from way, way, way back, right. to, from like the yeah, early Chris, I love Chris unconditionally. He is, he's a stand-up guy. I love him to death. He was actually supposed to come out and do the Seattle Comic-Con, and he was actually going to drive across the country just so we could hang out, and I was going to go down and work with him, and then this fucking coronavirus. Yeah, where, where are you now, anyway? What's that? Where are you now? I'm in Anacortes, Washington. Oh, it's, okay. Uh, it's, it's about an hour and a half. Everyone thinks I live in Seattle. I'm about an hour and a half northwest. Okay. I actually live on an island, and the island is connected by these two fixed bridges that go to the mainland. And a lot of people, this, this city has grown. It used to be people just drove through this city to get to the ferries, to go yeah. out to the San Juan Islands and go to Victoria, B.C. and stuff like that. And we just, people were like, how did you wind up out there? It was a fluke. It was, uh, so me and Sabina, we were together for maybe seven or eight years, right? I met her. She was working for a promoter at the Palladium. We were in love. It was, it was amazing. It was a magical relationship. It was crazy. 
So as I started doing the club, oh, we'll get back to how I left Biohazard in a second. But how we got on here was I was doing, I mean, I was working clubs. I was working after hours, right? And after hours are crazy. Uh, do you ever go to after hours in the city? I have, yes. Yeah. So I was doing a bunch of those. And, you know, one night we got raided and I knew the cops for the social class, uh, the social club task force, you know. And we got raided at this place that was right around the corner from the limelight. And literally, I mean, it's seven or eight in the morning and 600, 700 people come out of this after hours. It was insane. It was yeah. just insane. So I'm talking to one of the, the cops from the task force. I sit down there talking to him. And all of a sudden I start jumping up and down because my side's burning. I'm like, what the fuck? And I'm jumping. And he goes, let me see. And he opens my coat and he goes, you just got shot. And I'm like, what? And two other cops throw me up against the wall because they thought maybe I had a gun in here that went off or something. Yeah. But somebody just shot into the crowd, you know? So it was sort of like after that, doing that crazy kind of stuff, you know, being out for three days and I was partying too much. I, I, Sabina, her mom was on vacation going to Victoria and fell in love with this town, Anacortes. Bought a house. It was going to take her like a year to sell her house in Jersey. So we were like, oh, let's go check it out. So we didn't really tell anyone. Um, we told immediate family. Evan and uh, Billy helped us load the truck. And I've been here ever since. Okay. It's, it's a beautiful place. It's, it's grown. Population has doubled since I've lived here. But it, I mean, it's, it's beautiful. Now that I moved my mom out. Um, she, she got sick with cancer five years ago and she's been battling stuff. I mean, she beat the cancer twice cause she's the strongest woman I know. Awesome. Uh, she, uh, she's my best friend. We live together. I take care of her. This is scary right now with this virus going on, you know, and I work at a supermarket and, um, but um, Sabina and my daughter, Amanda, they moved down to Arizona. I don't know, like nine years ago or so. And it's worked out for them. And um, like I said, I got remarried. I have two beautiful girls that, you know, music has always been my passion. And my, my girls, Melissa and Fiona, I started taking them to concerts when they were seven years old. Right. Awesome. And they've seen it. It's, it's crazy because I wanted them to have open minds. I mean, they've, they've seen everything from Anthrax, Biohazard, Slayer, um, Billy Joel, Elton John, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Motley Crue. You, I mean, you name it, they've seen it. I mean, these these kids are only 19 or 20 years old right now, and they've been to at least 150 shows each. That's great. You know, it's crazy. I mean, my kids are everything to me. I know we're friends on Facebook. You see I post. My kids are everything. Yes. Yeah. It's just that they got to the teenage years. Um, you know, hey, let's go to a show. And it's like, no, nah, dad, I'm into Drake now. Like, what the fuck's a Drake? Yeah, what that? Like, I don't have those. It's not like a hostess thing. I used to have those back in New York, you know? All right. So here, the, the ending for me with Biohazard was um, um, Evan was a pain in the fucking ass. He really, and so I, I love heard. Evan. And I love Evan. Like I said, he was my brother. Um, but, you know, he was in it for the girls. That's that's what he he started a band because if anyone knows Evan, you know, Evan, it's always been about the girls. Right. 
So we got to a point, like I said, he, he just, he was hard to deal with. He was hard to deal with. And I wanted him out of the band. Even though it was his band, who the fuck is Rich Spring? The fucking, so I don't remember if I talked to the other guys, if I talked to Billy and Bobby or whatever, because Evan was just out of control. He was becoming a rock star and all this shit. I actually had a replacement. <clears throat> you know, uh, Keith Bennett from Wrecking Crew? I remember do. The Boston, the Boston I band Wrecking Crew? I don't know him personally, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah. He's a good guy. Really good guy. So he was in Wrecking Crew, right? We've done some shows with them. He fucking knew how to play. He could sing and he had long fucking hair. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm all over the place with this. So Chris Milnes, going back to Chris Milnes, he loved, you know, fucking, he was our, one of our biggest supporters. And I, and I hate to, to this day, he helped a lot of bands out with Monkey Pup. Monkey Pup, Monkey Pup was something back then, you know, yeah. they, they had the records going out. Chris knew what he was. Chris has always been the smartest marketing businessman. You know, even though he had a manager, he knew, he took care of everything. He knew everything. So he took Biohazard. He took us out on their first. We never had a tour. He took us to Europe. We went on a European tour with no album, still living off the demos and shit because Chris wanted to take us. Right. So there was a lot of <clears throat> there was a lot of tension. And um, with a lot of art, we had a great time. I was there for maybe 75% of it. Wound up one drunken night. We were in, uh, I think it was Vienna, Austria. And we were playing with the Blue Cheer. No, that old fucking band, a bunch of old guys. Really? That's weird. So it was like Biohazard, Mucky Putt, and Blue Cheer. And I remember we were sitting around eating or something, and I just got fed up with Evan. And fucking was yelling and cursing at him. I wanted him out of the band, blah, blah, blah. And I wind up getting in a fist fight with Bobby. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> yeah. You know, Evan was never a real, Evan was never a fighter. I was never a big fighter either, you know? Yeah. And um, I wound up getting this fist fight with Bobby. And um, I said, that's it. Fuck you guys. I'm leaving. Yeah, I fucking took all the merchandise money. I didn't have any money or anything. I took the merchandise money. I remember I had to take a taxi from Vienna to Switzerland. It cost me like 250 bucks. It was stupid. It was crazy. I just was like, I'm the fuck out of here. Everybody's like, I know Chris. Because we were all eating dinner. You know, the club that provided dinner were around this big table. The old guys in blue cheer. They're like, what the fuck's going on on here? I'm like, I'm out of here. I'm fucking out of here. And that was that. And I, you know, once I got back home, there was some tension. Bobby's like, fucking, I want those tapes and shit. Cause I had all the masters. I'm like, you can have all this shit. I don't give a fuck. You know, it was fun while it lasted. Fucking Bobby, Bobby almost fucking killed me. Honestly, he, um, and that, and I mean, honestly, he, we were at Lamore, right? So I didn't talk to those guys. They finished the tour. They come back. I don't think I don't know if I was working or if I was just hanging out. Rat was playing at Lamar. Okay. Fucking place is packed, right? Place yeah. is packed. So you know the layout of Lamar, right? I do. So remember, you had the upstairs where there was the seating and shit, and then you had to walk down a couple of steps. So if you were on that side of the building, you walked down a couple of steps, and then there was the men's room. Yeah. Right. You walked left right into the men's room. So I know I, I, I'm going into the bathroom 
and I turn around and Bobby is flying off of the fucking top stairway with his, you know, he always carried knives. Yeah. He had a fucking switchblade and he fucking jumps off the stairs and is coming right at my fucking chest. And I think the security guy's name was Tommy or whatever, just fucking hit his arm up like that. And I was like, what the fuck? You fucking, you really try to kill me, dude? Oh, you shit. know? And then sometime, you know, I kept in touch with Evan and Billy and then I started giving them all the shit back or whatever and then we just became friends again it was just like you know fucking hey why not Scott Scott Koenig picked him up to manage him right who was working for Rush Artist Management they got signed to Warner Brothers they went on that first US tour it was Creator Billy that's who the band was Creator yes, yes. <laughs> I, I, I had a little yeah I, I had a glitch there when I, as I was talking to him Right, so that's when I came up with you know, no, that tour. I see, so I used to go meet up with them, you know. I mean, they so we mended, we were great friends. They flew me back because now they got big, right? So they flew me back east, and it was when uh, they were open, it was uh, Biohazard, Sepultura, and Pantera. So Biohazard's breaking big, Pantera's at the top of their game. And they just flew me back to the East Coast, and I just hung out on the bus and fucking okay. had fun. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And at that point, that's when I got to know Phil. I didn't. Phil and I got kind of close during that. So because Pantera's at the top of their game, and there's all kinds of lawsuits coming at them. So when they would sing "Walk," he would always see me in the pit, and he'd throw me the microphone. So I finished singing the song and then I'd come over the barricade and hand him the microphone. So he's not throwing the microphone and uh, hitting somebody in the head or whatever, you know? All right. Yeah, so he, he always did that. It was it was kind of a thing that happened. It was funny because we have a huge venue out here called The Gorge, which is like huge, beautiful out on the Columbia River, 20-something thousand people, right? Wow. So when I'm living out here, White Zombie and Pantera are playing, right? Okay. I and, saw White Zombie and Pantera together at Roseland. Yeah. Which yeah, is so this is this is fucking huge. So he sees me in the pit and he throws me the microphone. I sing the part. I come over the barricade and he pulls me up on stage to finish singing it with him. So, so. here I am in the small town. I've been here maybe four years, three, four years. I'm telling people, oh, I know those guys, White Zombie. I know those guys, Pantera. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And then everybody's all fucked up and shit. They're like, is that Rich on the stage? Did he just pull Rich up on the stage? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so uh, White Zombie, this is real brief. White Zombie were fucking amazing. They were just fucking amazing, right? So they were like my my favorite band. And this was going back, going back, how far back are we going? This is, no, this is, okay, we'll get, this is them just putting um, the EPs out. I think it was on Caroline Records. Yeah, like Soul Crusher and, and. uh, Right, and then they put out the the God of of Thunder, you know, like that. So, yeah. So I'm I'm just helping them all the time. Any show comes up, hey Rob, you want to play this show? Sure, sure. I mean they weren't there was nobody managing them, and I just loved them. I got a call. I got a call 
from Slayer's management, right? And they're like, hey, we're going to do a couple of, you know, club shows before we start the big theater tour and all that. And we want to put um, Biohazard on it. And I'm like, okay, but you got to put White Zombie on too. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, White Zombie. You got to put them on. It'll be White Zombie, Biohazard, then Slayer. And they're like, you managing them? And I'm like, no, they're my, they're my friends and they're the best band blowing up right now. And yeah. that's, that, that's all it was. So I would put them on anything and everything I could. The funny thing is, okay, so you remember Rob at that point was dating Sean, the bassist? Yes. Yeah. So Rob calls me up and says he wants me to go to their, uh, come up to their loft in Alphabet City. Right. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Fuck yeah. So I go there and he goes, I think we're getting signed. Do you want to manage us? I was like, fuck, it seems like I've almost been doing it for six months to a year anyway. Fuck yeah, sure. Yeah. Absolutely, 100%. The next day or two days, which is, which is kind of funny, two days later or whatever, so they signed right to Geffen. So Geffen told them, nah, you need to get corporate management. Ah. So, so they called me up and Rob's like, sorry, Rich, you know, which is funny because I'm friends with Michael Alago on Facebook. Yeah. So he's one of signing the gap. And so I think it was just a week or two ago. Um, he put up, this is the day I signed White Zombie to Geffen. And in the comments, I put, that's the day I got a call from Rob saying I couldn't manage him. He never <laughs> replied to it or anything. You know, I put the little fucking joker face on there or whatever. But, you know. Yeah. So that, that, I mean, that's all it was. I was a huge fan of theirs. I could make some connections and that's, that's what it was. Yeah. I, I, you know, it. like I, I, I love that band. Um, I love the majority of their stuff. I think Rob Zombie is a great filmmaker. Um, the only thing that bothers me is whenever there's like, I know that Rob was on Rob Straker was on Joe Rogan. He was, he was, you know, but whenever he talks about White Zombie or anything like that, he never acknowledges anything before Geffen. Okay, so I move out here, right? 92, I moved out here, October 92. I still have my connections and stuff. I remember one day I, I go down to Tacoma, right? And uh, I'm with this girl and her brother, Derek, is one of my dear friends now. Derek is like, hey man, Pantera's playing in Seattle. And I'm like, really? They're playing in Seattle tonight? He's like, yeah, yeah. I was like, let me, can I use your phone? Before the cell phones and shit, right? They're like, yeah. So I call New York and I, I call Scott Koenig up. And he's like, give me, what's the number? Give me like five minutes. So they call right back. He's like, yeah, you're you plus one because they're playing an arena, right? right? So I look at them and I'm like, yeah, we're going tonight. And they're like, what? Get the fuck out of here. You just really like that? Yeah. To this day, I'll tell you. So we, we get there and we have backstage passes, right? And the girl I was hanging out with, Teresa, was like, oh, we got backstage passes. I was like, no, me and Derek do. Derek's like the biggest friggin' fan in this band. He's going backstage with me, right? So we after the show, we go backstage and there's you know big dressing room. There's a lot of people that are there for the meet and greets. You can tell, for, you know, kids from radio stations or whatever. And I'm like, hey, Derek, let's go stand in the back. You know, I don't want to be, act like we're standing there waiting for him or whatever. Right. And Bill walks in the room 
you know I'm almost seven feet tall, right? Well, yeah. like, <laughs> so I'm standing there, and Phil sees me, and he's like, fucking Big Rich, what? Big Rich, and like pushes everyone out of the way, and my friend Derek, his jaw like dropped to the floor, right? <laughs> so he's he's a huge fan, and I'm pretty sure to this day, so, and then later, you know, everyone else comes in, Dime comes in, and I think Dime wrote on his shoulder the CFH from Cowboys from Hell. Yes. And I think Derek got it tattooed after that. So that was like super memorable, you know. Sure. Wow. Okay. So 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 I call when I moved out here. I was uh, I start I was I got clean and sober. That didn't last too long, but I had a couple of years under my belt, <clears throat> and I was a youth counselor. I was working in group homes for kids that, you know, wayward kids with issues or whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> so White Zombie and Prong are playing at um, the Paramount Theater in Seattle. I make some phone calls. I want to take some of these kids. These kids are like 15 years old or whatever. So I get, I get like on the list and a bunch of backstage passes for like six of us, eight of us, right? Like fucking white zombie, hell yeah, fuck yeah! So we watch the show and everything, and um, everyone leaves, and we go backstage. I introduce the kids, and I go to Sean. I go, "How come you're not playing any of the shit off the EPs or any of that stuff?" And she looks at me and she goes, "You'd have to ask the singer." And I'm like, "Holy shit!" Okay, the last time I met you guys, talked to you guys, you lived together. You were a boyfriend and girlfriend, and now it's like you got to talk to the singer. So I think that just showed, I, you know, I think that just showed that Rob, he knew he could do that same sound and stuff, and you know, he had a creative genius, like you said, you love his films. You, you ever yeah. see that artwork? You ever oh, see the artwork he used to do before? Yeah, all of the album artwork. That's all right. Right. Super talented guy. But I think he just said, hey, why do I need, you know, these other three when I can just this is my thing. I don't know. I mean, all right. that, I mean, people I mean, people that are listening and watching this, you know, it's like a lot of people don't even realize that there's even anything before that Lost Sex Assisto record. But there's so yeah. much stuff. Right. Everything from yeah. Soul Crusher, Make Them Die Slowly, Gods on Voodoo Moon, Pig Heaven. Uh, psycho head blowout, the God of Thunder stuff, like all of that stuff. It's great. Yeah. It, it's, it doesn't sound like that last sex system stuff. Right, of course. It's raw. It's, it's raw. raw. Yeah. It sounds it sounds like it was recorded with the Manson family on Spawn Ranch. It's <laughs> right. great. I love that shit. Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, and it's funny because you you know you look on a Facebook page. Oh, I wish White Zombie. Hey, people, it's never gonna happen. Mm. Never gonna happen. Love it. You know, if you if you were able to experience it back then, treasure that. You know. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yep. I only, Rob, I only I only seen them a couple of times for some weird reason before they broke big, and then I seen them a million times after that. But you know, yeah, I, I only saw them a few times after they broke. Like I said, I was living out here in Washington. It was funny because <laughs> after uh, that thing at the Gorge where Phil pulled me up on the stage to sing the rest of it, and I'm just there in my shorts and sneakers or whatever, and I go to the side of the stage, and I'm just seven foot tall, just looking, and Sean looks at me like, double take three times, and she's like, Rich Frayne? <laughs> uh, yeah like you know from new york city then all of a sudden what the fuck is this guy doing here you know yeah that's cool well, man 
Yeah, that's cool. I mean, listen, more power to Rob. I mean, he's doing his thing. He's super successful. And I mean, that's awesome. I mean, obviously his passion was film and art and stuff, and he incorporated that into what he does. So Well, he went through that, yeah, you know, yeah, he is who he is. I mean, he's he's a creative genius. I just remember what was when Devil's Reject, because like I said, I used to take my kids to all this stuff, and I think you know, he was playing Mayhem Fest or something like that. Okay. But he was really, he was really touting uh, Devil's Rejects because right. he was saying he didn't want to do music anymore. He just wanted to make movies. I didn't want to do music. But <clears throat> how many years ago was that? You know. Yeah. He knows what he needs to do. He's a smart man. Yeah, man. Well, this is fucking cool shit, man. Some stories. I this to, uh, yeah, you know, I was very nervous coming into this, Jimmy. Was it entertaining? Was yeah, it all right? listen, there's nothing to be nervous <laughs> about at all, man. It's just, we're just sitting I here. know, it's just a couple of guys bullshitting, I know. That's it. Yeah, dude. I'm trying to think of anything else I have. You know, one thing that I want to get back to uh, Chris Milnes. Yes. Is that one thing that has always pissed me off Oh, here's a funny, let me tell you this funny story though. <laughs> Chris calls me up and goes, Hey, I want Evan and Billy to come in and sing some sing on some tracks, right? Three days like, Yeah. So, right? So I tell Billy and Evan, hey, you gotta go to this uh studio, you know, you're gonna sing on some monkey pup tracks. So this is before we have our album or whatever. Fuck yeah, fuck yeah, right? I get a phone call from Billy. What the fuck? What the fuck, Rich? Whether I'm fucking singing about fucking gophers? What the fuck is that shit about fucking gophers? <laughs> Three dead gophers, all named Harvey. It's right, right, right. right. <laughs> no, that was, oh yeah, but yeah, come on, that was great, right? It's it's amazing, it's funny, you know. Because I'm making fun about like you want to interview me or whatever. It's just it's great stories. I used to go out, so I left that tour abruptly, the Monkey Pup Biohazard tour. Right. And then the year after, Chris asked me if I would tour manage and go back out to Europe. I'm like, fuck yeah, you know? So I went, again, I was just doing everything. But it was funny because I brought, I made, I took everything out of the dressing room and put it on the stage. So, I mean, I think Murphy's Law did shit like this, but it looked like, you know, okay, you guys, we're in your, you know, you're in our living room, right? Right. So I would bring all this shit up. It's funny because I would I would sing the background, I would sing the gopher part, being the biohazard guy or whatever. Yeah. And and it was funny because you know, in Europe it's crazy. You know, you're in Sweden and everyone's got their fucking hair down to the ass, and all of a sudden you're in Denmark and they got fucking mohawks or whatever. But those fans are real out there. And kids would come up to me and be like, Hey, sign my t-shirt. I'm like, what? Yeah. Not in the band. yeah, you big rich. Sign big rich. Big rich. Oh shit. Yeah. But here's my thing is that Chris did a lot of things for a lot of bands and stuff. Sure. But when but when the tables were turned, where was that payback? You know? It's fucked up, right? And I'm not saying any one band or anything, but you know. In general. And I and it goes for me, you know. Now, my love of hardcore is huge now after that or whatever, and I'm sick of it all are the true kings of New York hardcore. They're still putting out that consistent shit, right? So I remember, and this this bugs the shit out of me too, is that 
I went to see Sick of It All at a, it was called the Cat Theater or something like that down in Seattle or whatever. And the fucking opening band were Corn and Burn. Wow. Opening up for fucking Sick of It All, dude. Corn opening up a stick of it all. And I want to see one of these fucking days that they keep doing these fucking amphitheaters or shit. Fucking payback. Yeah. Anyone fucking deserves it. It's sick of it all, man. 100%. Without a doubt. Yeah, man. Wow. We did over an hour, huh? Hour and 19 and change. Oh, God. We should probably wrap it up. Yeah, it's all. Good, man. I, don't have, I don't have time limits, but yo, man, this was yeah. awesome, dude. This is very cool. Oh, all right. I, I do want to ask you real quick because these are the quote unquote isolation sessions. How right. is this whole coronavirus thing? How is it up there? Because we're New York City is the hot zone right now. Okay, it's fucked up. So how is it up there? And then we can we're, wrap we're up. hit hard. We're hit really hard. Washington State. Yeah, is I mean, you look up, you know, when they used to have the maps up and whatever, and which ones were turning yellowish or red. I think we were hit hard before New York because your your guys obviously you're all condensed in the city, and I think it just spread like crazy. Yeah. So we're, you know, people are freaking out, you know, and it's 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 hitting hard. I think in my county that I live in. I think we've had one death and it was, but you know what, all, when it really hit here, when Washington was like the first one, oh my God, they have all these deaths and we had like nine deaths and it was all from this one old age home in Kirkland, Washington. It was, it was all right there, which is about two hours Southeast of me here. So in our own little community here, um, you know, we're just trying to deal with it. Like I said, my mom, my best friend in the world, she's got a compromised immune system. I work with the public, so it scares the shit out of me. Yeah, I, I'm working. I'm working every other day. I'm still getting full salary, but I'm working every other day, switching out with my boss. And like, to, like I was off today, but tomorrow I have work. I take the train in and out. I'm on the subway. I see your photos on Facebook, man. Forty Second Street, nobody there. There's more people, you know, rush hour during the week now has less people than Wednesday night at two o'clock in the morning. There's more people there on a Wednesday night at two o'clock in the morning on a regular night than there is now during rush hour during the week. Right. It's bizarre. That's crazy. crazy. Yeah, it's very weird. Let me ask you, um ask you a question on your opinions of carnivore and typo negative. I'm a carnivore fan. First and foremost, I do love typo negative, but not as much because it is actually two different things. Oh, absolutely. It's two that, different. I, well, that slow, deep and hard record fucking rules. You know, what's funny is that he wrote that about like this one girl, this one relationship, right? Yes. So this is, this is, this, this is kind of funny because we're at, okay. So Evan with the women or whatever, always oh, just got us in trouble, got him in trouble. So Evan was screwing around with this girl or whatever. Somehow it was, I think it had something to do with Steve blush for some reason. I think he was hanging out with Pete Whatever, Carnivore is doing some rehearsals at Ace London, right? And I go in there, 
and Kate's pissed off, right? So I'm like, what's up? Now, okay, I'm 6'10", Pete's 6'8", right? Yeah. Like so he's twin like... Towers. <laughs> right. So he's like fucking outside. Let's go outside. So I go outside, and Pete wants to fight me, right? But but nothing. We're not... either. Neither one of us are fighters, you know, or whatever. But here's these two fucking giants. And it was all over this girl that Evan fucking was fucking around with. Whatever. And Louie, the drummer to this day, goes, what, what the hell is this? Now, hey, not, you guys aren't going to hit each other, but, it, you know, we pay to see this. Right. We pay to see it, you know? <laughs> yeah. But it's funny because Pete did give Biohazard the name. I heard Billy talking a little bit about it, and it was on a piece of paper. Yeah. But um, Pete gave us the name because he was going to call – you know, typo negative was called repulsion first, right? I still got one of those t-shirts. Really? Do you, a, yeah. do, you, do you have a demo tape? I don't know. It might be in that storage unit. Yeah. <laughs> but it was funny because Pete, when he, you know, when we get the demo or whatever, and he's talking to us, okay, Biohazard's getting big now, right? And he fucking gives us a demo. We're like, dude, you're doing it wrong. It's supposed to be fast, fast, fast breakdown. What are you? You're doing it wrong, dude. You're doing it wrong. But pizza, pizza. I mean, I, I'm always listening to Typo Negative. We're musical genius, man. I, he had so much left to offer. The last time I saw him, they were on. Uh, it was Typo Negative and Hatebreed. They were on a Jägermeister tour or whatever, and it didn't come to Seattle. I had to. I went down. I took a train with a girlfriend of mine, and we went down to. Um, Portland to see it, Roseland, right? And I didn't even have, I mean, I don't even think we were on the guest list or anything. I was like, I'm just going to surprise Pete because I knew how to get into the venue and you can see where their catering area was, right? So we walked in and Pete sees me and is like, ah, you know, and comes and gets me and treats us VIP or whatever. And Pete says to me, hey, man, you know, I want to talk to you. And he takes me into one of the little private dressing rooms. And he's like, hey, man, I'm not doing any coke or anything anymore. He was fucked up, you know. And you, you, you can't tell somebody that's doing that shit, hey, I'm not doing that shit anymore. And I, I mean, I, I knew some people that were at that show. And I was like, fucking typo negative, man. They rule, they rule. He couldn't play. He didn't know the the... the the lyrics to the songs. It was one of the saddest things I'd ever seen. And that was that was my final ah. CMP or typo negative. And, and I know that before he died, I know he cleaned his act up. I don't know who, if it was Johnny Kelly, somebody told me, you know, he'd been clean and sober for like a year. He just signed another record deal. I mean, there was so much more out there. And it, it to me, I mean, me, he and I were brothers. I mean, it, we had, we had fun. We knew each other. We, we actually all went up to my apartment because I had just been the, the, the tail of the tape for the Sphinx Tyson thing. So we went up to my apartment to watch it on pay-per-view and it was over in 91 fucking seconds, right? Yeah. And we're trashed. We're drunk. We're drunk. And I think it was Louie, the Louie Beto, comes up with the idea. I was like, hey, let's get the triplet grand, you know, the carnivore, the symbol. Yeah. Let's get that tattooed on our ass cheeks. We're Fuck yeah, let's do that. So we went down to you remember Michelangelo of down course. at six 
So we went in and Mikey, hey, Mikey, we want, he's like, what do you want? And we're fucked up. He was like, we want to get this on our ass cheeks. No fucking way. You know, I don't know if I would still be like, hey, that's cool, but he wouldn't do it. He was like, no, fuck that. Fuck you guys. You ain't get that. (laughs) I thought you were going to say that you all have it. That would have been great. No, no, Mikey wouldn't, he wouldn't do it. But you know, um, when Pete died, um, I wanted, I wanted to come back home. Right. And, um, Chris, I kept in touch with Chris, monkey Chris. And, um, I think he called me after, you know, after the viewing or whatever. And he he was like, you know, you're better off. You didn't to see Pete like that. You know, it just, it wasn't real. It wasn't real looking at him or whatever, you know? And I remember I was working at a restaurant and fucking typo negative came on the radio. And I just, I mean, it, it hit me hard, man. I'm sure. It hit me hard. And I'm like, fucking, you know, it's a grown man crying because this song came on at this restaurant. Yeah. You know? Have you been, they, they, they planted a, a, like a really nice tree and there's a bench and a memorial for, in Prospect Park for them. <laughs> Right, I have it. When this shit's over, I, you know, I have, I found out that I, my mom raised me. God bless her, the strongest woman I ever known, raised me, and she went through hell. I mean, till my mid fifties, she's still probably going through some hell. The hell I put her through. But I found out ten years ago that I have a half brother. Oh shit! My dad, my dad, piece of shit. I, I think he's alive. He uh, he left after I was born. Then he wound up getting this other girl pregnant and he took off, but I found out I have a brother, dude. Wow. So I went, met, I, I went maybe a year or two before I moved my mom out. I went and met him. He worked down by the world trade center. And then when I moved my uh, mom out, it's funny. Cause my friend, John Ricard, my best friend growing up, he's a photographer. And uh, I posted on Facebook, Oh, I'm going to see anthrax at the Paramount in long Island. And my brother, Mike goes, Hey, you're passing my house. Stop by here. Oh shit! So I, actually, so I actually got to stop by there and uh, meet his family. It was weird because I walk in the house and he's like, "Hey, Chris, your uncle's here," and I'm like, "What, uncle? Oh shit!" <laughs> so um, he uh, he actually was sick with the virus. He just came out of isolation. He lives in New York, so he had the virus and he just came out of isolation um, yesterday. All right, so he's so, so he's better. Um, he's good. He's good. He's good. good. He's better. Thank God. And we've been texting. Today's his birthday. Happy birthday, Mike. There you go. And, birthday, um, Mike. <laughs> and I, 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 I always say I want to come back one more time. If I do, I got to look you up, brother. Yeah, look me up, man. You got, you got my, you, you, we're friends. I'll text you my number, whatever. Yeah, but, um, yeah. But when I get off, I'll send, I'll send you, um, I took a couple of pictures. I don't know if you've ever seen Peach Tree or the, or the bench they have for him, but. I took pictures yeah. and I'll send them to you. All right. Yeah, I'm part of that Facebook page, Peter's Tree page or something. Oh, something yeah. Like okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But right. yeah, no, I appreciate anything. But yeah, I want to come back one more time. I got I to gotta see Chris. Chris rescheduled the convention for August, but who knows what's going to happen. Well, none of us know what's going to happen now, right. you know? So we don't know anything. Hopefully sooner rather than later, everything will get back up and running to somewhat normal. And then right, uh, you know, right. people will be able to move around freely again. 
So hey, by the way, by the way, how do I look? Because that flyer, man, that flyer was like 31 years ago. That picture. You took. Well, yeah. Well, I needed something. I needed something of you. I wanted something from back in the day. I saw the one with the bio has its shirt on, and it's right. old. I'm like, I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna use that because so many of your pictures, you're not alone. There's always right. someone with you. So I needed one of you. Right. So I thought that was like, the perfect <laughs> one to use. I actually, you know, it's funny because it, they. Chris said this to me. He's like, what are you, like the mayor of Anacortes? Because I actually have a Facebook page. It's called The Day. And I just take pictures of people. There's a guy that owns the Italian restaurant. He started calling me the Pope of Anacortes. Nice. I'm like, I like that. It's like the Pope of Greenwich. Oh, yeah, I'm from here. I like that. The Pope of Anacortes. Yeah. Own it, man. It's great. <laughs> All right, bro. Wow. Yo, thank you so much for your time, bro. This was awesome, no. man. Thank you for having me. It was entertaining. It was all right? Absolutely. Everything was awesome, man. All right, brother. Listen, stay safe. I, I know I know that you work in, in, in with the public and stuff like that. All right. Right? Stay safe, man. And cheers to your mom. Hopefully everything is all good. Thank and, you, brother. Uh, yeah, without a doubt, man. And we'll definitely hey, I'm gonna, touch. I'm going to start posting that flyer tonight, all right? Sure. Go ahead. But t- tell, tell everyone that it's going to come out. It's going to come out. Wednesday. All right. All so right. I know you sent it to me yesterday, but I, I didn't want to post it until I, if I see if I actually could do the interview or not. So yeah, it works. That's fine. Uh, you can just say <laughs> it'll, it'll be available Wednesday afternoon. Next Wednesday? Wednesday. Come here. What's today? Today's what? Today's Wednesday. <laughs> In a week from today, it'll be, it'll, it'll, I'll put it All out. Right. All right, brother. But Thank you, man. I appreciate you having me. Not anytime. Like I said, post it if you want. Just let them know it's going to come out on Wednesday. Sure. Sounds good, Jimmy. You take care of yourself. You too, buddy. All right, buddy. Take it easy. I don't know how to turn this off now. All right, brother. I'll I'll hang up on you. (laughs) All right. Take it easy, buddy.